I've mentioned in the past my theory that you can often tell the age of a person, particularly if they are male and particularly if they are a revhead, by the cars they love. The period of reverence for mechanised transport coincides with the time between puberty and late teens, perhaps early 20s. Not surprisingly, then, I have an almost mystical view of the late 60s and early 70s and the sectarian divide of Holden versus Ford, particularly with gladiatorial contests at Bathurst. It was a time when you did not buy your loyalty at a merchandising tent, but proudly wore the stain on your shirt from a weekend on the mountain. If it was signed by Brocky, it was a holy relic. Motoring journalist, commentator and author John Smales has been reminiscing on this time. G'day, John. Uh, David, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Sadly, one of the very significant characters of that time is probably only known or remembered by a tight fraternity of enthusiasts that just passed away. Who was that? Al Turner, who was the father of the greatest muscle car ever built in Australia, the Falcon GTHO. Uh, and you're right, his passing has kind of passed by without a lot of recognition, which kind of surprised me because Al Turner was pivotal in, in that era that you spoke of, mm. uh, which in turn means that he was pivotal in the whole concept of V8 supercars in this country. He deserves more recognition. He was brought here by some almost American imperialism. Ha! <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Uh, Bill Burke was an up-and-coming uh, executive in the Ford Motor Company, and, and part of his ladder to success was to turn around the fortunes of Ford in Australia, which was, A, challenging Holden, which was dominant in this country, but, B, not doing too well in its manufacturing activities. So Burke, big-talking, brush, br brash American, was brought in to fix it. He, in turn, decided that he'd bring in Al Turner, who at the time was running... Ford's drag racing program for the Mercury division. And uh, he brought in Al particularly to build a motorsport presence for Ford in this country, very successfully as it turned out. One of the things uh, we know, of course, was Harry Firth, known as the old Fox. He was a race driver, team manager. I think Bill Tucky once wrote that he was uh, as cunning as an outhouse rat, rat best remembered for master reminding the Holden dealer team, but he started with Ford. How did Turner get on with him? Not, not at all. There was room only for, for, for one outhouse rat <laughs> in, in that rat house, and, uh, and that was going to be Al. So what happened was Harry Firth had been running the Ford activities as an external for quite some time. Uh, out of a, a small workshop doing it his way, and his way wasn't the Ford way, it wasn't the corporate way. So even though uh, he masterminded the original uh, Bathurst win in the Falcon GT in uh, 1967 with Fred Gibson, uh, there was no way that Harry Firth's way of doing business was ever going to marry with Ford's corporate way of doing business. So when Al Turner was brought out to, uh, to fix it, the first thing he did was fired Firth. And that's not the way Firth tells it. Firth says that he looked at the circumstance and he decided to move to Holden. But four years ago, I actually interviewed Al Turner for Alan Moffat's biography, and Turner took the opposing view. He absolutely said that he called Firth into his office to see if there was a way that the two of them could work together, and he quickly worked out that there wasn't. 
So he gave Harry that day his marching orders. Firth was incredibly lucky. If that's the true story, then Firth was incredibly lucky that he could walk straight across town to General Motors and take up where he left off with the, with the other American imperialist working in Australia at the time, the, uh, the General Motors company. You mentioned Alan Moffat. Now, you've challenged the popular opinion in some areas that Moffat took time to warm up and get into the groove, but Turner then hired him. Specifically, why? Al Turner recognised Alan Moffat not as a racing driver, but as a development driver, which in fact was the case. Moffat was one of the best development drivers that Ford ever had on its production line. He did more kilometres around the Dearborn test track than anybody else known to humankind because that was in his DNA. For Alan, put him into a motor car and send him out to do A-lap and to come back with certain parameters recorded was what Alan was all about. So uh, Al Turner knew of Alan working at Carcraft, which was the in-house development company for, uh, for Ford, which in fact developed the, uh, the, the Ford GT40 as well. Uh, so when Alan Moffat came back to Australia armed with his Ford Mustang that he wanted to race, and he knocked on the door of the Ford Motor Company, they said, we don't want to know about your Ford Mustang because we don't sell it in Australia, therefore it's of no use to us, but we'd very much like you to come on board to test our Ford Falcon GTHO program, uh, which is indeed what Alan did. But his deal was that if he was going to test it, he was going to race it as well. So from day one, they made him the number one race driver for the Ford team in Australia, even though Bill Burke argued with Al Turner on that issue, saying that why can't we have an Australian as our racing driver and just keep Moffat, the Canadian, as our test driver? So Moffat uh, used his own force of will to say, if you want me for one, you've got to have me for the other as well. Turner, what was Lot 6? Lot 6 was the Skunk Works. Uh, whilst Turner was a company man and a guy who'd turn up in a suit to work every day and would fill in all the films and do all the paperwork that a good card-carrying Ford senior executive would do, he recognised that there was no way known that the Falcon GDHO could be built totally under that regime. So he found a, 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 an industrial estate just across the road from the Ford Motor Company at Broadmeadows. Uh, one of those, they were divided into lots one, two, three, four, et cetera. He took over lot six, didn't put a sign on it, but hired a number of engineers, not the least of which were a few uh, redundant guys from the Repco Brabham program, strangely enough. Uh, he took them in-house there and built the Falcon GDHO pretty much as a Skunk Works program, even though it was officially signed off by Ford. But the whole reason for that was that there were a lot of people within Ford, a lot of executives, who wanted to put their fingerprints on a successful program and, and Turner recognised that they would most likely uh, not only be deleterious, uh, but would, would also get in the way of his dream of being the father of the Falcon GDHO. So what he used to do was that after he'd done his day's work across the Broadmeadow, he'd come across and work with the guys during the night. He was abso absolutely committed to this program. And he would, any time a Ford executive came anywhere near Lot 6, he'd turn out the lights and lock the gates so that they couldn't get in and they'd think everyone had gone home for the night. One night, a, a senior 
Ford executive came across and did exactly that. Al turned out the lights. It was only the next day he realised he'd locked out Jack Nasser, who was, of course, went on to become the president of Ford in the world. But, but that's how serious he was about the, uh, the GDHO program. Jack Nasser, I think of Lebanese descent, but nonetheless a very proud Australian who went on and saved Chrysler, among other things. Uh, so he would have been a fairly formidable character. So I guess that makes Turner one who was prepared to stand his ground. The, th the thing that amazed me about the Ford guys at those, in those times, David, was that they were all, you're, you're, they were all built similarly. You almost, I think, had to pass a height test, minimum six feet. You had to be able to slam dunk a basketball like a, a, a college basketball draftee. You, you had to walk the walk and talk the talk and look the look if you were going to be a major Ford executive. And when you put Bill Burke together with Al Turner, these were guys who were from another planet for, for people in Australia. They were, were formidable beyond, beyond belief. Uh, and, of course, when it was all over, when the GDHO program came to an end, they both went on to do other things within the Ford Motor Company, climbing the ladder of success. It's interesting corporate politics that says that in reality, looking back in history, you really need to make sure that you've employed some people who want to follow the technology and, and their dream in terms of producing a great product rather than necessarily just the corporate image, which is often, there's almost some group think there, isn't there, that you know, you've all got to be of the similar type. A lot of successes in business, and, and I guess in motor racing, has come out when people have either been given or taken their own head to produce what they believe to be and what proves to be right. Look, I agree with you in, in certain circumstances. Cross at Holden later in, later in the next decade, there's a guy called Peter Hannenberger who became uh, universally known as people, Peter Handlingberger, because of the way he turned around Holden's uh, dismal, abysmal uh, handling problems. Uh, but... At the same stage, the Ford guys in that, that time weren't necessarily married to the concept of motor racing. They were married to the concept of absolute sales success, and they used motor racing as a tool to do that. Even Turner, who kind of knew his way around a workshop and knew his way around a race circuit, was still not a dyed-in-the-wool motor racing man, in my view anyway. He was a guy who knew how to use motor racing to be able to achieve sales success for Ford. And he made a couple of errors, uh, fairly significant errors, uh, by not having a better understanding of the, of the technology of, uh, of the, car, the race cars that he was building. Having said that, however, he was a fast learner and he never made the same mistake twice. <laughs> One of his first efforts was not a success uh, in taking on initially the great Norm Beachy. What happened there? Well, Beachy had uh, persuaded Holden that he should build a car for the Australian Touring Car Championship. You've got to understand at the time there was two regulations in place. The cars they were racing at Bathurst were strictly production cars, the Falcon GDHOs were strictly production cars, as were the Monaro GDSs. But uh, 
Over in the other corner for the Australian Touring Car Championship, they were racing hot rods, you know, uh, within regulations, but but very, very loose regulations, which allowed you to do a lot to the cars. Beachy built in the back of his workshop in Brunswick the fastest Monaro in the history of the world. Ford didn't think it was possible. They thought that this was just a, a backyard effort and it was going to fail. But Beachy in 1970 went on to win the Australian Touring Car Championship. Naturally, Burke couldn't handle the disgrace as president of Ford in Australia. He said to Turner, build me one of those and make it a Ford. Now, that was where Turner made a major error because he thought what he'd do is build a Mustang. So all he'd do is get all the Mustang parts from Australia and put them into a Falcon in Australia because there was no point in bringing out a Mustang because they still didn't sell Mustangs in Australia. So it had to be a Ford Falcon that took on the Monaro. So Turner brought out all these Mustang bits and built the Super Falcon. Only two of them ever built. One went to uh, uh, to Alan Moffat and uh, the other went to Pete Gagan. But, David, they were disastrous. They, they just didn't handle, they didn't work. Moffat refused to drive them ultimately. He and Turner had a stand-up argument uh, at Adelaide International Raceway until Moffat actually kidnapped uh, Al Turner. He had him in the passenger seat. There was a passenger seat inside the motor car. He put him in the, he had him in the seat. Suddenly he slammed the door shut and went for a high-speed drive around, around Adelaide International Raceway, at which stage Turner, white as a sheet, got out, had the car locked up, put on a trailer and sent back to Melbourne to do more work on it because he could now see that everything Moffat was talking about, this car being unsafe at any speed, was exactly correct. Then turned out that Pete Gagan, Pete Gagan had talked Ford into giving him one of the, the other car. He took it to an external supplier and had it properly built. And that car was okay. But the car that Turner built was never a success. So they went more from the highly modified into the series production. That, that became a greater focus for them? No, not necessarily. But, but, at the moment, at that point, if you wanted to win Bathurst, which even then was kind of the pinnacle of Australian motorsport, until 1973, it was a series production category. And that was where, I guess, everything you spoke of in your intro came to pass. This was the time when the two tribes went into battle, when Ford versus Holden started the tradition, which is now red versus blue. Uh, and so you had GDHO versus uh, versus Monaro and then ultimately versus XE1. But in that five or six years from 1972, 1967 through 1972, um, that was, to my mind, uh, the pinnacle of touring car racing in Australia. When, when those two... Uh, companies, both American companies, both bigger than Ben Hur in terms of ego, took each other on on the racetrack. When their sales directors, John Bagshaw for Holden, and and, and of course Bill Burke working with Keith Horner from uh, from Ford, just went hammer and tongs. When when dealers were fated, when win on Monday, on Sunday, sell on Monday was all that mattered. When, when horsepower really, really counted above anything else. 
And, and those, were, those were the glory days. Mm. Uh, but they then did develop the GTHO and the G, and that went into the uh, unfulfilled racing ambition of the GTHO before. Uh, was that part of Turner's efforts? Oh, yeah. Turner, Turner was the father of the HO. It, it, HO, incidentally, he, he named it HO for high output, but the PR people thought that was too aggressive. So it became HO for handling options instead. <laughs> um, Turner, Turner built the first HO uh, in 1969 when he first came to Australia and had a precious few months only in which to do it, uh, working with Moffat. They went to Bathurst and uh, that was the year that they, they Turner and, uh, and Moffat, to a degree, determined that their, uh, their uh, hidden advantage, their secret, their secret advantage, would be putting race, racing tyres on a production car. So they imported a whole heap of Goodyear's, uh, racing Goodyear's from America. Moffat claims he wasn't in favour, but I'm not so certain. Um, either way, the tyres kept blowing up, deflating. Car Falcons were crashing. The only car that wasn't was Alan Moffat, but Al Turner determined that because everyone else was failing on tyres, he'd bring Moffat in for an unscheduled pit stop to change his tyres when he brought him in because Moffat was a genius at, uh, at stroking the car along and protecting his tyres. And when they brought it in, there were still heaps of rubber on the car and it was totally safe. But in doing so, it dropped him a lap and that cost him his first win in his first Bathurst 500 as it was in those days. And Moffat determined after that that he'd, he'd be the captain of his own ship and would never, ever again listen to the... Uh, the, the, the sage advice of Al Turner from the pits. <laughs> uh, and that was, if you recall, David, that was the year that uh, Ford ran that uh, terrible series of advertisements the day after uh, the race meeting. We were deflated. And they put the blame solely on Goodyear, which was so unfair because, in fact, the car wasn't set, set up for the tyres and it was as much Turner's fault and Ford's fault as it was Goodyear's, I guess. Well, Goodyear and Ford, who have links with family have had great uh, uh, sorry, uh, yeah have had great debates with uh, between those two companies i think there was a huge ruckus in america as well on a more production cars could have been i'm not i'm not aware of it i mean yeah, yeah no. hmm. the the the, con the concept of, of of working with your suppliers is probably paramount in whatever you do hmm. and i would have thought that both goodyear and ford could have played nice and, uh, and pulled a victory from Moffat in that first year. To move on, uh, in 1970 and 71, Moffat won twice in an HO Series 2 and then an HO Series 3, uh, both times driving solo. Uh, and that was the pinnacle of, uh, of Turner's success in, in Australia. He was in the process of building the HO Series 4 when a motoring journalist, Evan Green, uh, published a story on 25 June 1972, the big supercar scare, where he said that uh, bullets on wheels were being built uh, for registration on the road, which, of course, under serious production regulations, they had to be. And within a week, within one week, David, the entire supercar industry in Australia came to a halt on the basis of that story. Politicians folded. Uh, car companies folded as well, and the GDHO program 
five days after Evan's story appeared, folded as well. There are only ever four GDHO Phase 4s ever built in, in this country. Uh, and, of course, they never raced. Uh, what, and that was the end of it. And was that the end of Turner in Australia? It was, it was the end of Burke and Turner both, actually, not because of that. Burke had achieved what he wanted to achieve uh, in terms of turning Ford's fortunes around in this country and becoming a viable competitor, sales competitor, to, uh, to Holden. So Burke was promoted, actually, to president of FASPAC, which is Ford Asia Pacific, still working out of Melbourne, but now in charge of the whole Oceania, Oceania region. And the first thing he did was determine that they needed to build a Jeep-like uh, low-cost all-purpose vehicle for Indonesia, and he poached Al Turner from Ford Australia to become the man who built that. So Turner and, and Burke then became the dynamic duo, moved on and, and worked in Europe before they went back to the United States where Burke ultimately became uh, vice president of Ford uh, in the world. And uh, uh, Turner became disenchanted with what was happening and moved uh, to, uh, to Chrysler with Lee Iacocca, where he built uh, concept cars until the end of his career. You spoke to Turner, as you said, some four years ago. Did he remember his time in Australia fondly? Oh, very fondly, aggressively, fondly, uh, loved the place. His daughter still lives here. Uh, he, uh, he loved his time in Australia. He, loved, he, he was only 30, when I say only, he was 37 when he came here, which in terms of, uh, of, of corporate uh, ladders climbing still made him a fairly, a fairly young man in terms of where he wanted to take his career. And he really, really appreciated the opportunity to, to strut his stuff in Australia. You know, in America, he was kind of one of many bees in the bottle. In Australia, he was the king, the, I can't say queen bee, he was the king bee. And uh, he was, uh, he, he therefore managed to really make his claim to, uh, to fame in this country. And uh, ushered us through or made a contribution to what really has been one of the great passionate times in Australian motoring. Oh, very, very much so. With, with, look, it's interesting to contemplate, isn't it? What would have happened if Bill Burke had been satisfied with keeping Harry Firth on? Would, 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 would it have happened or wouldn't it have happened? Uh, could Firth have built the GDHO? Could, could Firth have worn the, uh, uh, the, cor the, the corporate grief that came with building the GDHO or would he have walked away? What would have happened if Holden hadn't had Harry Firth to build, to, to build their cars for them? You know, all of these things are kind of par, part of fate, aren't they? That at that one point in time, you can almost build a case, can't you? You know we're on leading. You can almost build a case for that being the Camelot of Australian uh, motor racing, that, that era of 1969 through 72. When, when the Giants came out to play and everything was sensational in the world. You uh, wrote a book on Alan Moffat. Uh, what was his last lasting memory of Turner? Moffat and Turner got along really well and always, always did and always, always uh, uh, thought, thought highly of each other. Uh, and, and that's 
really all you can say about it. When Turner left, Moffat's stocks in Ford changed. They didn't diminish because, keep in mind, in 1977, working under a different management, Alan and Colin Bond stays the famous 1-2 victory at Bathurst. But it was after that that Alan's stocks in Ford started to fall away. Uh, again, Alan was very much part of that, that, that era where his view on life married with Turner's view on life, married with Burke's view. And uh, while Alan Moffat was very much a, uh, a smaller cog in that wheel, strangely enough, although he was the, the personality, uh, those three guys brought to, uh, to the fore what the Ford Motor Company wanted to achieve in this, in this country. And I think Alan Moffat is forever grateful for that having occurred. Coincidentally, with the death of, uh, of Al Turner, Shannon's Auctions at the moment have just brought Al Turner's personal GTHO Phase 3 to auction. It's uh, come to auction with an expectation of $1.2 million, which isn't bad from a car that cost $5,250 at launch in 1971. Perhaps a reflection of those who were passionate at the time but have gone on to uh, make their wealth. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I, I, I think uh, the guys mm. who are now buying those cars mm. are, are, are guys who probably in 1971 couldn't afford them, but can now well afford to lay down the lazy one million to to own a car that has is a very much part of Australian history. John, that's been a lovely uh, reminiscence uh, off the cuff. I really appreciate your time and uh, a reflection on your commitment and involvement with the sport over many years. Thanks very much.